starting a new series this morning, uh, Modern Lepers, we're going to talk about. I want to begin by talking about the idea of something that's unclean. You've probably had the experience of being at a restaurant and you're ordering your favorite meal from the menu and then they put it down right there in front of you at the table and you start eating and you get halfway through the meal and all of a sudden you notice there's something sticking up out of the food. And then you grab it and you pull it out and it's a big long hair. Now I know it's not mine because it's a long hair. And all of a sudden in that moment that delicious meal went from oh to something that's now unclean. And repulsive, right? Except for some of you hearty guys, you're like, no, I'll still eat that. That's no problem. That's a, right? But for everyone else, it's normal. Like, it's immediately unclean. It's what you get when you see a ribeye steak and it looks, oh, mmm, mmm. But if you put a maggot on it, then all of a sudden it becomes unclean. Who's going to lunch after, we, you know, after church? Right? All of a sudden it's unclean. That's just a little thing all of a sudden makes it unclean. Let me ask you this. It's called the Dixie Cup Test, but if you were given a Dixie Cup and asked to spit in it, that's no big deal, but to then drink the contents of the cup. How many would be okay with that? Now, you, you recognize, like, just a few seconds earlier, it was in your mouth. It was saliva. You swallow that all the time, but all of a sudden when it's outside of your body and inside a Dixie Cup, it goes to something that now disgusts you, and most of you don't want to do it. Now, right, just moments before, it's saliva, and you swallow it all day long, not thinking anything of it. The moment it is expelled from the body, it becomes something alien and foreign. It's now no longer saliva. We now call it what? Spit. And disgust sets it. You see how that works? It's the same thing, same contents, but now all of a sudden, you've moved over to the area of disgust, and disgust is a psychological boundary. Disgust marks objects as exterior and alien. And what is true of objects, now this is important for us because we have to have Jesus inside here, but what's true of objects is also true of people as well. There are people who are walking around that we find disgusting, we find repulsive in some particular way, and it could be for many reasons. Now, Don't give yourself the benefit of the doubt now and act like, oh, no, no one repulses me or has those feelings of disgust whatsoever, or at the very least, they make you feel uncomfortable. And yes, I understand there's degrees to it. I'm not saying, you know, everyone you see, you want to vomit in your mouth. I'm just saying that there exists in people outside of us certain characteristics or traits or behaviors or maybe it's a life experience or maybe it is their appearance that makes us want to, at the very best, benevolently avoid them because we feel a little uncomfortable with them, or worst, we wish they didn't exist at all. And I think if we were introspective just a little bit and were really honest, I think we would confess that there might be people on the face of the earth that we consider to be unclean. And they bring up in us, even if so very slightly, feelings of this disgust or repulsion or discomfort. You could put it on I me. Mean, I know those are strong words, but I mean... Hang with me in terms of this idea of something unclean, and sometimes people could be in our mind unclean. In fact, I've got a video I want you to see here. It's actually, uh, they filmed it in France, so if French is what you'll hear. There's some subtitles uh, to help you out. But it's a, it's a guy who's dressed like he's homeless, and he's in the middle of a town square, and he falls to the ground acting like he needs help, uh, and then he repeats the exact same thing, but this time he's dressed in a business suit. And just see the different reactions he gets uh, out of this video.
excusez-moi. Excusez-moi. Aidez-moi. 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 When this woman in a New York waiting room collapses in 2008, hospital staff ignore her for an agonizing 45 minutes. When someone finally comes to her aid, it's too late. Powerful, isn't it? This past fall, several of us on the staff went to uh, New Orleans for a Christian Community Development Association conference. And uh, it was in the conference center, and I was shamed internally. No one brought it on me, uh, but I was convicted during the conference. Uh, there in the conference center, uh, there was a guy I noticed several times who had cerebral palsy. And I noticed him kind of mingling with other people. I didn't think much of it or even his condition, and then come to find out, and I hadn't noticed it, but uh, he was a keynote speaker at the conference. His name was Daniel Harris. And here's what's on his bio of the program that they gave us about Daniel Harris. It says, as an urban missionary, city activist, and evangelist, Daniel has a calling on his life with a burden for cities of the world. At nine months of age, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. His parents were told that he would probably never walk or be able to communicate very well, but God had a different plan. 
from the beginning, Daniel was able to see the effects of God's healing upon his life. And nine years ago, God gave him a burden for the people in the downtown area of Memphis. While in high school, his senior class went downtown on a field trip. It was there that he noticed how much community there was. That day gave him a love for downtown, which grew into a burden. Daniel wanted to get to know these people, hoping to build long-lasting relationships in order to present the gospel. He graduated from Shire School in 2000 as class valedictorian and wanted to receive a certificate in biblical studies from Crichton College in 2002. His greatest desire in life was to minister to God's people. So in October 2002, Daniel started Fallen Walls Ministry. In his spare time, Daniel paints and has written and self-published three children's books. But here's what was so powerful at the conference. He took the stage, and the format was going to be an interview. And so one of his very good friends, she was an African-American woman who came to know Daniel and became good friends, and she addressed the crowd first and said, and it was a very powerful message, she said, I need everybody to put away their cell phones, I need everyone to put away their electronic devices, and I need you to lean in, I need you to listen. Because Daniel doesn't communicate very well. It's very difficult to hear Daniel, but she encouraged us that if we would listen very intently, we would miss quite a bit, but you'd start to pick up the heart of his sentences and what it is that he was trying to say, and that was how that, uh, they were going to conduct the session that he, she would interview. So she began to ask Daniel questions. They had a very difficult, difficult time communicating. It felt very strained. It was very hard. But as you leaned in and as you listened, all of a sudden you could hear this beautiful man and his voice and his heart and what he was trying to communicate and what he was trying to say. And one of the biggest things that he does in his ministry is simply talk to people. Because he recognizes, because of his condition with cerebral, cerebral palsy, most people feel awkward They're, and uncomfortable. It will just avoid him. And so he tries to talk to people to force people to recognize that they can overcome that discomfort, to overcome that awkwardness, to engage with a real person who has a real heart and real feelings. And it was a beautiful moment, but it was a convicting one as I thought to myself, I think I probably would have avoided him. Like, I, I think, I mean, not because I hate him, not because, but it's that moment where his cerebral palsy and his inability to communicate probably makes me feel uncomfortable in ways that I don't want to say out loud, but I'm telling all of you this morning. And so it was a moment of conviction and shame of who else in my life do I treat like this? That maybe I don't hate them necessarily, but you might go out of your way to avoid them because they make you feel uncomfortable. And my guess is there are people in your life that make you feel uncomfortable. And I recognize we're all at different places. The situations and contexts you might be totally comfortable in, for me, would be totally dis- I would be uncomfortable and vice versa. But we tend to have a reaction to people sometimes, often based on their outward appearance that could cause in us avoidance or repulsion or disgust or the things that we would, if we technically call it, unclean. And so I'd be curious what's on your list. And, of course, you know, you can go back historic and see that, oh, no, people have been on the list, maybe for you, it was black people or white people or Hispanics or Asians or races of all types that are different than yours. Maybe it's obese people, handicapped people, old people, people with severe disfigurements. Maybe it's the prostitute or the pimp or the stripper. Maybe it's the meth addict that you feel very uncomfortable with, that if you had to boil it all down, it feels unclean in some way. Or maybe the homeless, like the video we just saw those with mental disabilities, somebody who doesn't speak your language or belongs to another culture. Maybe it's a blind person or gay people or immigrants or people who, don't, or who vote differently than you. I, I don't know who would be on your list, but I'd be curious if we went really introspective for just a moment. 
who we find to be unclean. The purity impulse that we have marks off a zone of holiness. We want to admit the clean and expel the unclean. But here's what we see in Jesus. Mercy. And mercy, by contrast, crosses those purity boundaries. Mercy blurs the distinction, bringing clean and unclean into contact. And this is key if we're going to follow after Jesus. Because he'll say, and he'll make it very clear in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mercy calls us to step into our discomfort and embrace the unclean. Mercy calls us to suspend repulsion and disgust for the sake of the person before us. Mercy demands that we look beyond appearance and acknowledge somebody who's been created in the image of God. And see, this is what God does. Like, he exudes mercy in his son, Jesus. This goes all the way back. You remember the story of King David when, when the prophet Samuel has to anoint a king, and all of Samuel's brothers come in, and they look like, man, these, this is king material. But in the end, God recognizes in verse 7 of 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Or or we see it in the ministry of Jesus when he teaches this in Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will say, Lord, when did we... See you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You can put those on the category. The hungry, the thirsty, the strangers, the naked, the sick, prisoners. Jesus sees all of them through the filter of mercy. Which leads us to the story I want to come to this morning. We live in a day and age where we aren't confronted with leprosy anymore. Like, not really around us. Maybe some parts of Africa and Asia. And so it doesn't make the news because it doesn't seem to be one of our big issues. But in the days of Jesus, the disease leprosy was a big deal. Now, in case you don't know what it is, leprosy, it is a contagious disease that affects the skin and the mucous membranes and nerves. It causes discoloration and lumps on the skin and then It eventually, because it's not curable, moves on to disfigurement and deformities, and it will only get worse over time. And and the words in this are important, contagious, disfigurement, and deformity. In fact, I was going to show you a picture of somebody with leprosy, and they were all so bad, I thought, I probably shouldn't. Like, maggots I'll show you, but leprosy probably wasn't so wise. But leprosy was tragic in the days of Jesus because it isolated you from everyone else. Because of the contagious nature of leprosy, no one could be with or wanted to be near someone with leprosy. And so could you imagine at one moment having an entire family and social network around you only to discover you now have leprosy and you lose socially everybody. The physical toll of leprosy was bad enough. There's not a cure and it was a miserable way to slowly rot to death, which is what would happen. But the social toll of leprosy 
made it all the worse. And then to tack onto that, the spiritual toll was another layer because most people thought in the days of Jesus that if you got leprosy, you got it because God was punishing you for your sins. So you must have deserved it. And so it takes away even the sympathy that should rightfully come to somebody who's suffering under that affliction because it's viewed as, well, you did it. You, you've heard of, like, leper colonies. You ever heard that phrase, leper? That's where people with leprosy had to go because you can't be with the general public. It was a way to protect everyone else from someone who had leprosy. You were, in effect, banished. You were considered unclean, and everyone had to avoid you. And in the days of Jesus, you were to remain outside of the town, and you were required, listen, you were required to warn people of your unclean condition. If somebody were to approach you, you had to actually verbally warn them and say the words, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine being afflicted with this disease, and not only on top of having to walk around and everywhere you go, if people start to approach you, to warn them by saying, unclean. It was a completely isolating and humiliating disease, and you had no hope. And in my mind, just in terms of just analogies, I can't help but think about uh, when the AIDS epidemic in the 80s took place, when people were being diagnosed. Do you remember the story of Ryan White, the little boy? I think he's from Kokomo, Indiana, I think is where he's from. And all the things, like even after his death, his grave was vandalized four different times in, in one year. Just the way that people treated, he was a hemophiliac who contracted AIDS through a blood transfusion and just all the things that took place in his life. Uh, might as well have walked around screaming unclean. And yet here's the story in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now what's interesting, this man, this leper, typically had to say, unclean, unclean, and he doesn't. He goes right up to Jesus because this is the only hope he has. He's heard other stories, and instead of yelling unclean, he goes up to Jesus and says, I really do believe that you could make me clean. I don't have to walk around saying unclean anymore. I, I think you could make me clean. And we tend to skip right over this because it's 2,000 years later, but what Jesus does, it, this is a bold move, and it breaks social protocols. And even the man approaching Jesus like this is breaking social protocols, but the most amazing part of the story comes in verse 3 where it says, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. Now, for somebody with OCD like me, like this is a big, like he's going to, like... I'd be totally cool if Jesus kind of waved his hand and, right, <laughs> be healed. Antibacteria, right? <laughs> but what does he do? I mean, this is important what Jesus does. This is a very important sign for everybody around. He reaches out and he touches the man, the leper. Now, imagine as Jesus extended his hand, what you probably heard in his disciples and around the crowd was that, you know, that gasp that people make when they're horrified or they're something. <gasps> Like, I imagine you probably heard that all around as Jesus went to reach out to this man. That the disciples themselves were probably a little panicked. Jesus is going to touch a leper. And in this moment, Jesus is crossing a barrier and he's extending mercy. Mercy brings clean and unclean into contact. 
mercy forces us to transcend our rules of purity. Which, by the way, just as a side note, you know, Jesus knows what's in the Old Testament. And it's not like it's unclear. The Old Testament is very clear, like book, chapter, and verse. In fact, you could have a religious leader on the side yelling out a book, chapter, and verse as to how we now treat this leper and what needs to happen because of his leprosy. And yet, Jesus seems to transcend all of that, to sweep all of that away, because he sees in this leper humanity, a person with a heart and feelings and a story. So for Jesus, it's mercy. Mercy trumps discomfort. Mercy will trump disgust. Mercy will trump revulsion. And mercy is what Jesus has called us to extend to the modern day lepers that we have created in our own hearts and minds around us. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And this is not optional. It is by far the more uncomfortable parts of Jesus' life and teaching, but it is an option. It's not an option for us. His message 2,000 years ago to his first disciples is the same message 2,000 years ago to us. And it is this. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we ask that you give us the heart of your son, Jesus. And in it, that we'd view people as you view them. That we'd have his eyes and his heart to see the world around us. And I pray, Father, over the next couple of weeks as we begin to look into this topic, that you begin to reveal to us those people and those situations that we have probably predetermined as unclean at the very least has made us uncomfortable, if not led us to, to disgust and repulsion. We want to learn what it means to extend mercy. And so we come to you today and we ask that you transform our hearts and let us look like your son. We pray this for your glory's sake, in Jesus' name.